Well, good morning again. My name is Sean. I'm one of your teaching elders here. And this morning we're going to be in Galatians chapter 6, looking at verses 11 through 18. That's printed for you in the ESV translation on page 11. And boys and girls, our uh, church's children's translation is also at the bottom of that page for you. We'll be referring to that throughout the service. You want to have that handy. So we're continuing on in our series called No Comfort Zone. We're looking at the various comfort zones that we in church world tend to construct in our lives to be comfortable. And how sometimes, oftentimes, those comfort zones can be hindrance to our calling here on Mission Midlow as we are, have been chosen and privileged of God to come and incarnate and speak the gospel to our community. And so we're going to look at the comfort zone that has a lot of teeth to a lot of people, especially in our current um, climate, and that is the idea of giving offense. So I want to take you back to a little over 20 years ago for me. I was in the HR orientation training for a job in corporate America. I was employed at a small church in Colorado Springs, and so I had to have a job uh, uh, outside of the church as well for income, and so I worked in corporate America, and, and we had our HR training, and they were talking about offending other people and all the things you're not supposed to say and not supposed to do, and I raised my hand because, you know, they asked any questions, and I foolishly thought that they actually meant that, and so I raised my hand and said, um, yeah, does, doesn't the offended person have responsibility at some point? I mean, isn't there a point at which you would tell them, look, you shouldn't be offended this easily. Now, for those of you who are in corporate America, I was young. I, I didn't know. I'm sorry. You can imagine how well that went over. For those of you who aren't in corporate America, it did not go well. And the reason that that question is so difficult is that giving offense has become one of the few sins in our culture. You are not to give offense. And that's a problem for us because the cross is offensive. There's no way getting around it. So Christians, therefore, are offensive to, we'll call it the world, culture, whatever word you want to use. We offend them. And that makes us quite uncomfortable, doesn't it? And it sets up a struggle for us to live faithfully. The churches in Galatia, in Paul's day, faced a very similar struggle. So if you know your geography, think about modern-day Turkey, okay? Dead center of modern-day Turkey is an area called Galatia, and this is Paul planted churches there, and this is, uh, he's talking, he sent this letter to them to go to several various churches in that area, and he's talking to people having this very similar struggle, and it's this. Non-Christians defining and then attempting to enforce what Christianity should look like. For us, very often, it's the pressure to have a private faith, one that doesn't affect our public life, keep it individualistic, keep it private, keep it on Sunday. You'll notice in the last 20 years, there's been a change in terminology. We used to talk about freedom of religion, which is a religion is all-encompassing. It's who you are. It's an identity. It's 24-7. Now you'll hear more and more freedom of worship. Worship is an activity engaged in by an individual at a specific time. Very different philosophy of, them, of the culture trying to say, well, this is what you should do. Don't have it be your whole identity. For the Christians in Paul's day, 
Their situation was it was the issue of the relationship of this new thing called Christianity to traditional Judaism and to the official emperor worship that took place all over the Roman Empire. So for them and for us, the temptation is to compromise the gospel because it's more comfortable. And as we're going to see, a compromise jeopardizes the gospel. So with that, would you please stand for the reading of God's word? We'll be looking together at Galatians chapter 6, starting in verse 11. Again, it's printed for you on page 11 of your bulletin. See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised. And only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law. But they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And, for, and as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. Let's pray together. Now, gracious God and Heavenly Father, it is our joy to come before your word this morning. And we ask, Lord, that you would indeed open this text up to us, Lord. Help us to see truth. Give us strength by your spirit, Lord, that we may see and taste the beauty of Jesus yet again in this time together. Lord, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. So in these Galatian churches, there were two groups. Kind of broadly defining them, you had one that kind of feared the world or feared culture, and the other that was very overly comfortable with the world, overly comfortable with culture. And thus, neither group wanted to be overly different. Just like our time. And Jesus, though, what he has promised and what Paul is showing them is that Jesus makes us into a radically different type of community. One that is so different, our very existence can be offensive. And we've created a comfort zone of not offending people. And so we live in this tension. And so to live faithfully, we have got to address and get rid of our comfort zone of not giving offense. And that gives us our theme for today. What we're going to try to do through this passage is this. When we embrace the gospel, we offend cultural commitments. We're going to see that, you know, it's comfortable to blend in with culture. But when we embrace the offense of the cross, the gospel changes us. So we're going to start out by blending in with the cultural religion. So I want to take you back to the first century Roman world. Like I said, right smack middle of modern-day Turkey is an area called Galatia. If you're interested, you can look at the historical account in the New Testament book called Acts, which is the history of the early church. In Acts chapter 13 and 14, we see Paul on mission planting these churches in Galatia. But about 100 years before that event, the Roman Empire had come, and they had conquered this region. And one of the things Rome did is they immediately started building infrastructure, including hot and cold running water. How cool is that that long ago and they immediately implemented emperor worship so 
take care of people's basic needs, change what they worship, and all of a sudden you get to have an empire. And empires still build themselves very similar today. Caesar was actually worshipped as one of the gods. Now I know it sounds preposterous to our ears, but for them, gods were everywhere. And monotheism, worshipping only one god, was utterly preposterous. People in the Roman Empire had to participate in this worship unless they were a recognized alternate religion such as Judaism. And so early Christianity was viewed as part of Judaism, but as more and more Gentiles, that's a a religious word that means non-Jews, as more and more Gentiles came into this new thing called Christianity, it started not being Jewish very obviously. And so both the traditional Jewish authorities and the Roman authorities like, this is not really Jewish. And so... We're not going to let you be exempt from this worship of the empire. You've got to participate. And so what we find in the book of Acts, if you look in, in, uh, throughout the book of Acts, but in 13 and 14 specifically, you have the Roman authorities and the Jewish authorities working together to try to force these early original Christians to blend in to one of those two things. Don't be this separate thing. Don't be different. Be one of these two things. And again, the easiest way to understand it is this. Why am I belaboring this historical point? Here is what was going on. It's non-Christians attempting to define and then enforce what Christianity should look like in the public square. We had a very recent example of this, um, gosh, within the last month, month and a half, Capitol Hill Baptist Church, Mark Dever's church. They had been meeting outside, much like we have been in Virginia, because D.C. would not allow them to congregate as a church. They allowed people to congregate for protests, but not for the church. And so Catholic Hill Baptist took them to court. And in the court case, the government of the District of Columbia said, we're not prohibiting them from gathering together online. There's something essentially lost if you make a protest be virtual. Protests have to be in real life. But Christian, a Christian church can still download all that data. They can still get this data dump through virtual meetings, so they are not losing anything. And the judge in the case basically said, you know, hold up, wait a minute. You don't get to come, we as a government don't get to come in from the outside and tell the religious institution what constitutes the vitals of their religion. They get to define that. And if they say gathering together is a vital, you have to tell me why they have to lose that vital. And so they lost their case and Capitol Hill Baptist still gets to meet. Now, regardless of your opinion on that, I want you to see What happened there is the government came in and said, we define Christianity this way, and so as long as you do it this way, you still get to meet. This is a very similar pressure to what is going on in ancient Rome, and it's been going on ever since. So into this pressure, what happens is some well-meaning Jews come along who would become Christians, and they think they've solved the problem. It's real, real simple. Have all these Gentile Christians be circumcised, this ancient bloody, painful, really off-putting religious rite that is utterly foreign to a pagan mind. Have them do that, and then Rome will see them as Jews. They won't have to worship the cult of the empire. Persecution stops. Everybody wins. The government's happy. The Jews are happy. The Christians are happy. A little sore, but they're happy. It's all good. And so what happened is many of these churches in Galatia actually started requiring circumcision. Said you can't be a Christian without it. You can come to Jesus, but you can't fully come to Jesus without first going through this painful, bloody rite. Which implicitly tells everybody what? 
Jesus' blood wasn't enough. You've got to shed some too. It's Jesus plus this thing equals salvation. Always means Jesus wasn't enough. So Paul hears about this. Paul blows a gasket and writes the book of Galatians, which if you sit down and read the book of Galatians, it is not nice. Okay, Paul probably gets a letter from his you know, oversight committee about his harsh language after they read the book of Galatians because he is just on fire for them because he saw the truth. Okay, this is not a minor point of compromise. If you set aside the gospel of grace, you lose everything. If you say it's not salvation, Jesus alone, it's Jesus plus something, you lose every, everything. And so Paul tells him the truth in verse 12. He says, look, these false teachers are only interested in avoiding persecution. They want you to blend in with the culture so they can stay comfortable. Okay, this has been a little tedious this morning already. I admit that. So boys and girls, I want to make sure you're tracking with me. So let's, let's look at your translation, boys and girls, on the bottom of page 11. We're going to look at verses 12 and 13 here. Here's what Paul tells them. He says, those people who want you to blend in instead of being different just don't want to suffer for the cross of Jesus. They already blend in, and they want you to join them so they can brag about not being that different. You see, boys and girls, these people felt pressure to not be that different. You know what that pressure is like, don't you, boys and girls? Be like everybody else. Don't stand out. Don't make others feel weird or uncomfortable. And then you, you won't always be picked last at recess, right? Or maybe that was just me. But guess what, boys and girls? Mom and dad feel that pressure too. It's, a, it's an adult world. It doesn't go away. We adults want people to like us and to not think we're weird. And so sometimes we, we downplay parts of Christianity to fit in better. That's exactly what Paul is talking about here in verses 12 and 13. These people wanted to be accepted by the Roman authorities, by the Jewish authorities. They, wanted, they thought they had the perfect compromise. And we need to be careful of that as we are here on Mission Midlow, you know, demonstrating the gospel to our changing community. We live in this tension. Where can we meet our culture halfway and where can we not? We need to be wary of compromising to the culture. And we're very hypersensitive to that. And so when we feel that we're standing out or, or when we know that our faith is offending someone, we're tempted to think, well, maybe I can do something different or maybe I can tone it down a little bit to relieve this pressure to maintain the comfort because I don't like feeling like I'm offending somebody. L let me hold on to this part of Christianity, but throughout the week, eh, this part's not that big of a deal. I, I can compromise there. You see, and what happens is in trying to preserve a comfort zone, what we end up doing to ourselves is we end up living this fractured, stressful life instead of living in the health and the wholeness the gospel offers us. And so actually, our comfort zone is not that comfortable. It's just non-confrontational. Now, I'm being purposely vague. I could like say specific things we do, but there's as many little compromises as there are people in the room. And I don't know what yours are. But you know that pressure when it comes, don't you? That feeling that's there, that feeling of back off, oh, don't be that person, right? So as many of you know, I, I was limping around a couple months ago. I had knee surgery about the middle of October. I just finished my last PT session. It's been great. And if you've ever been in physical therapy, you are stuck with one person for the whole time. At least the, the practice I went to, that's how it worked. And so I got to know my guy really well. His name's Hobie. And we started talking back and forth. And, you know, 
I try not to let people know that I'm a pastor, not because I'm ashamed, but because having done this for over 20 years is the first thing that happens is people think I'm their mom. They do. People get better posture. They start articulating very clearly. And they start calling me sir. And, and, and they make direct eye contact. It's really fun. Like, guys, I'm not your mom. So I, I try to withhold that as possible because I don't want people to treat me weird. Let's just treat me like me, right? And so I, as long as possible, I kept saying other things. And finally, he found out I was a pastor. And so we're in a group session where he and I are in a group or here. And we're surrounded by other couples, with, you know, a therapist and a client. So the, there's like 20 people in this room. And so rather loudly because, you know, I'm not that gregarious. I'm kind of shy. And he says, hey, so like what kind of pastor are you? Like, what does your church believe? Which is like, I mean, you love having like someone just toss you a softball like that, right? And so I said, well, you know, thinking about this culture, I was like, you know, you just asked me some pretty intensely personal questions, and I, I'm going to have to give you a kind of a religious answer. Are, are you okay with that? And he goes, yeah, I'm fine with that. And I'm, you know, again, I'm kind of shy, and I notice my peripheral vision. I have like the attention of 20 people now, and I'm like, okay, you know, I am a professional Christian. I guess it's my job, right? So I said, well, you know, being a pastor is kind of like being a physical therapist. So, you know, I can't fix anybody. I don't have the skills, but Christianity teaches that we are absolutely broken. We are separated from our creator. And so we need someone else to come in, kind of like you need the surgeon to come in and fix the breakage. We need someone to come in and fix the breakage. And we believe that, that because Jesus Christ lived the life we should have lived and died the death we should have died and was raised from the grave, if we confess him as our Lord, he heals that breakage. And we are set free. I said, however, kind of like you, People don't fully know how to realize in their lives that freedom. They don't fully know how to appropriate that healing that they have. And so my job is very much like yours. Was I, I spend the rest of my life helping them go through therapy so they can really work out the implications of the gospel. Okay, I didn't plan that. That was like with the Holy Spirit and things. I'm not smart enough to come up with that. And he like looked at me and goes, what's the name of your church? <laughs> and he, writes, he may be watching right now. Hey, Hobie, I don't know. But here I'm telling you that. I was scared to death because I had an audience of 18 pe other people in the room or 20 people in the room and I could feel how awkward it was to proselytize in public and I was shaking. You would have been ashamed of your passion. Like, dude, this is your job. What is wrong with you? I was so afraid because I hate feeling uncomfortable like that. And you do too, don't you? Our culture puts that pressure on us so much that don't say things like that out loud. That's offensive. I mean, we're so used to knowing that the gospel is good news in church world that we forget how much the gospel grates against sinners. We really do. We forget how much it grates against sinners. A fellow pastor, a retired PCA pastor from New York named Tim Keller, uh, he put it so well. I'm just going to read his quote instead of trying to call it my own. He says this. He says, the gospel is offensive to liberal-minded people who charge the gospel with intolerance because it states that the only way to be saved is through the cross. The gospel is offensive to conservative-minded people because it states that without the cross, good people are in as much trouble as bad people. Ultimately, the gospel is offensive because the cross stands out against all schemes of self-salvation. See, the gospel screams out, the cross screams out, you can't save yourself. You need help. You are helpless. And that is utterly offensive to people. 
And that's not just a problem out there. It's a problem in the church. Back to the scripture here. These false teachers were trying to get these people to focus not on Jesus making them right with God through grace, but on doing a religious act to make the cultural authorities happy. Join us in our compromise and we can have peace. It would be very comfortable. The church can expand because we won't be so weird to everybody. Look at me at verse 13. Here's what Paul says about this. He says, They desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. In other words, they recognize that they have done something wrong. They have compromised too much. They feel guilty about it. But if they can get a whole bunch of other people to join them, then they can boast. Hey, they're doing it too. It must be okay. And that's how compromise works, isn't it? You've seen it happen. There's great pressure sometimes to blend into the culture, to compromise on what culture says doesn't matter. You don't have to join together. Why do you have to be so obtuse? Just do your church through Zoom so everybody can get along. And it's uncomfortable to stand up to that, isn't it? We hesitate to take a stand for the offense of the gospel because it's difficult and uncomfortable. And so what are we supposed to do? Well, the next thing the text shows us is this, that we find the answer in embracing the offense of the cross. Let's all look at verse 14. The Spirit through Paul says this, Far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. See, the false teachers boast that, hey, everyone compromises. But Paul boasts about the truth that holy God doesn't compromise when it comes to sin. The cross is where Jesus gave his life to uphold God's holiness and destroy sin. God doesn't compromise when it comes to sin. He was utterly uncompromisable. He said there must be blood, and Jesus was that blood. See, Paul is making an offensive, shocking statement here to an ancient Roman audience. Even though the Romans had perfected the practice of crucifixion, The word cross was still unmentionable in polite Roman society. Even when one was being condemned to death by crucifixion, we know from historical records, you can look this up, they didn't say crucify him like like we see the Palestinians doing in, in the Gospels. No, Romans would say hang him on the unlucky tree because one simply didn't speak the word cross. It was too offensive. But Paul says, no, Paul, the Roman citizen, says, no, I boast in the cross. It had set Paul free, and Paul didn't want to see Christians lose that joyous freedom, so he boasted in it. You know, we live in a boastful culture, don't we? I mean, our heavily curated social media lives make it clear that we boast in ourselves as a culture. That's what we love to boast in. But the cross of Christ helps us Christians say, no, We need to boast, and we're empowered to boast in the things our culture finds embarrassing. We boast about our weakness. We boast about our needs. We boast about our helplessness, being freed from those things in Jesus. I mean, you realize that cancel culture, or whatever you want to call it, is all about our failures and our guilt and our sin without any hope of atonement and forgiveness. The only thing they have is just cancel But Christianity offers both atonement and forgiveness in Jesus. Therefore, we get to be free from the opinions of others. That's boasting in the cross, and that kind of freedom is offensive. Boys and girls, let's look at your verse 14. Make sure you're still tracking with me. Paul says this, 
Paul says, but I will brag about the cross where Jesus was killed because through it I am made right with God and don't care about getting others to like me. Okay, boys and girls, how many of you know what a mortgage is? Yeah, you, you, you don't. That's good. It's usually the biggest bill your parents have. Do you worry about the mortgage? Boys and girls, do you? Or, no. You know why? Because mom and dad take care of that for you. You can be free to be a child without this huge debt hanging over your head because it's taken care of. And for all of us, that's the gospel. That God, through Jesus Christ, has taken care of this huge debt of sin over our head through the cross. So you don't have to worry about it. You can be free to be a child without that hanging over your head because it's been taken care of. And that is boasting in the cross. When we embrace the offense of the cross, we too can say with Paul, I don't care about the world or what they think about me. But we often really haven't embraced the cross like that, have we? We, we do care very much what they think, even if we don't want to, right? Which is why it's so important to notice what Paul says and what Paul does not say here in verse 14. He does not say that he has defeated the world. He does not say that through his religious discipline and through his practices, he has overcome temptation to fit in and how he never compromises. That's not what he says. He boasts in the cross. He trusts in the cross. He rejoices in the cross. He lives for the cross, the symbol of Jesus' strength and Paul's weakness. The cross is the object of his heart's desire. The cross anchors Paul's life. He is crucified to the world because something else has captured his heart. You see, ultimately, we all boast in what we live for. What do you boast in? What is it you look to to know that you are good, that you're enough? So many of us in church world What is comfortable for us to look to is is our morality, our religious behavior, our activities, our support. It it gives us a sense of identity. It gives us a sense of value. It gives us a sense of significance. All of which causes us to boast in ourselves. See, but in the gospel, we boast about what Jesus did. We glory in his work for us, his death for us, his resurrection for our life. It makes us radically different from the world. It makes us radically different from culture. And it makes us offensive to culture to be that free. See, if our heart is captured by the cross, we won't even notice the offense anymore because we're so enthralled at the beauty of Jesus, how he has changed us in the gospel, which is where Paul goes next. Paul was changed by the gospel. It set him free from his own fears, his own hang-ups, It set him free from the fears and hang-ups of others. Look what he says in verse 15. He says, For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. See, the practice of circumcision was actually so offensive to Romans that it was illegal. Outside of Judaism, outside of the official right in Judaism, it was illegal. And yet here Paul, the Roman citizen, says it's nothing. It's not even that important. And here's the other side of the coin that's even more amazing I want you to think about the attacks that have taken place in France and Vienna in the last month where people for religious reasons have gone into and murdered worshipers in churches in France and Vienna. 
religious fanatics killing for their beliefs. We call them terrorists, right? Before he was a Christian, Paul was so committed to circumcision and the Jewish law that he hunted down and killed Christians. Paul was a terrorist. But the cross of Jesus consumes him now. That which he used to kill for now means utterly nothing to him. This is an incredibly radical heart reversal on the part of Paul. The gospel changed him from a killer into a new creation. And if the gospel can change Saul the terrorist into Paul the apostle, it has the power to change you and to change me and and to change our community. See, here's why the gospel is so offensive. Look what Tim Keller said. It is the utter repudiation of the self-salvation project that humanity has been engaged in since Adam. No system of beliefs, no achievement, none of that counts for anything, Paul tells us. All the things our culture says make us a good person count for nothing. All the artificial righteousness that is presented to us, recycle, vote this way, care about this, don't care about that. All that artificial righteousness counts for nothing. We're free from all that. And that freedom is offensive and unnerving and opposed. That's why we're talking about this under the idea of getting rid of our comfort zones. We don't have to worry about what people think as long as we stay inside of our comfort zones. But then the gospel comes along and it changes our relationship to our fears and to our comforts, to what we think is important. The gospel changes what we boast in, what we anchor ourselves in, what we call valuable, our whole basis for identity and comfort. Once we embrace the offense of the cross, the gospel changes us so that nothing in the world has power over us anymore. We are free at last from pleasing a community so we can serve our community. The gospel's that powerful. So let me wrap this up. Let's look together at verse 18 as we, as we close. Paul says this, Paul says, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. This is the gospel that the Galatians need to know. This is the gospel that you and I need to know, the gospel of grace from our Lord Jesus Christ. It's not that we would have knowledge of the gospel. Notice what Paul says. It's not that we would have, yes, I know the information of the gospel. If that's true, maybe the D.C. government is right. There's nothing of substance lost when you're not gathered together. It is just a a data dump. Do it over Zoom. Paul says that the grace of Jesus would be with your spirit, would be a way of life, something deeply fulfilling because it's someone deeply fulfilling. It's the person of Jesus, and we gather with him and by him in spirit on Sundays. It's the person of Jesus we boast in. Jesus sets us free to live for him and to love our community. He's not just a principle that kind of fits into our theological puzzle and gives us peace. He's a person who redeemed us. And in union to him, what is true of him is true of us. Oh, do you know Jesus like that? Your life can have this powerful, life-changing gospel that made Paul into a new creation. Jesus changed him from a terrorist to a disciple, and that same Jesus is available today. You can have that freedom today in Jesus. Simply cast off all the religious works you look to to make you feel like you're a good person. 
cast off all the morality you look to, the religious behavior, whatever your circumcision is that you look to plus Jesus, cast all that away. All the religious habits you've picked up, whatever it is you boast in, get rid of those things and boast in the cross of Jesus. Place your faith and trust in Him alone. To set aside that comfort zone of not offending the culture. Or as Jesus himself would say it, repent and believe the gospel. Let's pray together. Father God, well, it is difficult to talk about these things because our comfort zones are so comfortable. Oftentimes they don't feel like they're a hindrance to us. They don't feel wrong. Lord, we pray that you would bring your Holy Spirit to each of our hearts. That you would convict us of where we need to repent, Father. We pray that you would help us all to boast in the cross of Jesus. To boast in where real life is, Lord. Even when we know it's going to offend others. Lord, would you help us to love you like that? We can't do it in and of ourselves, Lord. We don't have the discipline. We don't have the gumption. We don't have it, Lord, but you do. So by your spirit, would you once again change our own hearts from terrorists to disciples? We ask that you would do this in Jesus' name. Amen.